Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome once again to the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. And today, well, one Debunking Economics listener asked us to look at the role of shadow banks and to answer the question, can shadow banks create money? Well, we know banks are regulated to an extent and uh, they have this ability to create money, which expands the money supply. Can the unregulated shadow banks do the same or at least have an influence on the creation of money? Well, we'll uh, answer that one and look at the broader role of shadow banks on the programme today. Are they the root of all evil? And if so, how do we stop them? Or are there bigger fish to fry? Well, shadow banking, it's its a relatively new term. It was coined by Paul McCulley of the private bank PIMCO in 2007 to describe how banks were selling loans repackaged as bonds. And look how that turned out. Today, I think perhaps it has a, a broader meaning, but whatever the meaning, there's a, a lot of concern about the role of shadow banking. Is it a way for non-banks to behave like banks without the same degree of regulation? Janet Yellen, chair of the US Federal Reserve, has talked about how shadow banking's influence on the financial system is hard to measure. So what are shadow banks? Why are they risky? And how do we control them? Three big questions for Steve Keen. Uh, but uh, Steve, I mean, maybe we should start with... Uh, uh, your definition, first of all, of exactly what you see a shadow bank being. Well, the, 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 it's really best to start from the definition of what a bank is. And a bank is a a uh, company which has been licensed by the state to be able to issue deposits. That's fundamentally what gives them the capacity to create money, because if you can't issue a deposit with somebody, then you can't create a loan on one side and create a deposit on the other. Yep. You have to lend yep. what you have to some from you have one account. You've got to transfer from your account to their account. So you're only involved in arbitrage. So a real bank has been licensed to have deposit accounts and you and I could get a deposit account there. People therefore wrongly think that that means that the deposits create the loans, which is similar thinking to thinking that the uh, the Earth must be the centre of the universe because we see the sun rotated around every day. Um, it's 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 the the reason that the deposit taking capacity is so important is that it enables you to create loans and create money in the first place. Having said that, that means the shadow bank doesn't have that capability legally, so it's not legally allowed to issue deposits. Now, does that mean it doesn't create money? Well, mm. that's where all the stuff about selling bonds and, and buying and packaging bonds stuff comes in. Yeah. Well, uh, so are they creating money? Because if, if, if I loan money and sell bonds to cover that loan, um, then I'm not creating money. I'm just acting. Uh, that is just acting as an intermediary, isn't it? Because the, the bonds are going to e equal the same value of the loan. So I'm not, it's not as though I'm saying, well, here's bonds for 10% of it, and I'm going to take a risk on the other 90%. No, that's right. If if you simply had uh, shadow banks being institution which issued bonds and then uh, sold the bonds and then used that money for whatever purpose they had, then they'd be transferring money from one point one account to another without creating money in the process. So that's why the the, the shadow in terms of what their impact is as well. Technically speaking, it should be zero. But uh, you also mentioned that a lot of what was happening that gave rise to the the birth of shadow banks on the scale in which they operate these days uh, was the banks were packaging up loans and selling those loans to other institutions normally shadow banks right and so when, when the banks yeah when the banks did that the loans disappeared from the asset side of the of the bank um, it didn't it, it left them with more equity 
they continue to create more debt. So that's so it's actually a, a shadow bank without the backing of a of a proper bank with the proper bank's ability to create money is not a threat. It's the combination of the two, and it's in the and, the, yeah. and the and the one the, the bank is basically using it as a way of sidestepping regulation, isn't it? Exactly, and that's where the Australia in particular had a lot a lot of history of this in my early days. So I think back in nineteen sixty one, and I, I can remember the economic crisis then. I think I was eight years old at the time. Uh, there was a real crunch in the economy. There's a collective a company called Cambridge Credit. Now Cambridge Credit came about because a set of rules uh, attempting to stop uh, a bit of an asset bubble in the housing market. Market, uh, like most successful rules in Australia, uh, led to uh, the formation of this alternative credit a- wing as a way of the, the bank that owned the company creating more loans. And so if you look at the, the link between the bank and the shadow bank, it often is that the shadow bank, a bit like a sh- Indonesian shadow play, there's a puppeteer above it. And, and that is the ownership of it by a bank that is using it to evade regulations. And in that process, it's ma- managing to create money, even though the, the organ it's using to do it with appears not to have that capability. So why can't I, uh, as a shadow bank, without the backing of a big bank, why can't I uh, only sell bonds to cover the element of the risk that I want to uh, cost in. So, you know, I think, well, 20% of my loans won't come good, so I'm only going to sell bonds to cover that 20%, but I'm going to loan out 100%. Ah. <laughs> well, you've got to have an account to loan it out of. Yeah. And this is the this, this is what's seen as limitation on shadow banks, meaning they can't create money, because if you're going to make a loan to someone uh, as a bank, then what you do is you mark up the, the loan as an asset on, on the, the asset side of your ledger and you put the money in their account on the liability side and you've created a loan and you've created the money but if you uh, don't have the capability to actually create a deposit then what's going on is you have a, a, a bank account at a bank yourself when you make the loan the amount of money in your bank account goes down the amount of money in the, the recipient's account goes up. You record that on your books, which are not part of the bank books, obviously. So the debt's risen, but there's been no change in the total liabilities of the banking sector and therefore no money creation. Why are they getting such a hard press? Why is it the shadow banks are the ones coming in for criticism when clearly it's the banks sitting behind them that are the... Uh, I mean, Warren Buffett called uh, shadow banks weapons of financial mass destruction. I think he was talking, you know, because of what happened in 2007, but it wasn't the shadow banks who were at fault. It was the... It was the banks that were trying to pass off that pass off that debt that was the problem, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's 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 the issue. They, the, the the normal banks are looking nice and staid and responsible behind this, but if if it hadn't been for their attempts to evade regulations uh, and the use of these uh, organs, which are less regulated, to pump out additional debt, you might not have had that level of asset speculation being driven up in the first place. So they they are um, the shadow banks take the heat. They they get paid very well to take the heat. Uh, you know, the amount of the fees that are paid and, and the salaries are just ridiculous in that part of the banking sector, even compared to banking in general. So they are paid in effect to be the front men for all this. And they will often come up with a more uh, extreme ideas that, you know, your, your real, your real um, gamblers turn up in that part of the industry. So what about uh, peer-to-peer lending? Is that a form of shadow banking in that, uh, you know, you're taking a loan from somebody, you're packaging it up, and uh, you're getting paid by somebody else. That is still that. That is a classic uh, case of of not money creation because it's an, a non-bank agent lending to another non-bank agent. 
you know, often through you know, some electronic means to do it. What actually happens is the bank account of the person doing the lending goes down, the bank account of the person receiving the loan goes up. So you have that, – that's, that's classic loanable funds, in other words. And no. – but in all, so but in, in all yeah. those situations, though, if you're doing that, you're going to be saying, oh, look, we could make more money, couldn't we, if we could lend out more than we're taking in. Let's get a bank behind us and say, look, we're doing this peer-to-peer lending thing, but look, we can lend out 10 times as much uh, if you'll sit behind us. In which case, the, the bank then makes a loan mm. to the uh, peer-to-peer lender, and the peer-to-peer lender then lends it out and tries to make an arbitrage profit on it, but the actual establishment of that account by the bank creates money. So this is why when, when it comes to measuring all the stuff, when I do my, my empirical work like for the latest book and uh, on my websites and so on, I'm using Bank of International Settlement data and they include data, uh, they separate out uh, with a smaller data set. They have a data set of bank loans versus non-bank loans. And I had to make my decision, which one do I use? Of course, bank loans, just by the sheer, the fact that they're less than 100%, they've got to be smaller than non-bank loans. Uh, but I thought, well, frankly, I think all the shadow banking mechanism stuff is just ways to disguise uh, banks continuing to create money for, for, for the sake of profit. Um, so I'm going to use the aggregate data series rather than the one with just bank lending alone. So it, it, it also, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, these shadow banks don't create money in their own right, but are they actually increasing the incentive for banks to create money so let let me give you an yeah. example because if i if i if i uh, have money if i'm a bank and i've got some money sitting in sitting in my bank and i want to loan it out plus some uh, i can loan it to somebody to buy a house and i might say well okay i'm gonna i'm gonna loan out 10 times as much as the money i have to buy houses but if you uh, if you pass it on to a shadow bank then uh, then they're going to loan out that money to at, at a much greater scale, presumably, and you know that that those loans could also be passed on as could, can they then also become part of the deposits for f- for future loans as well? Can it, is there a multiply effect that could happen? Well, I think what you've got what, what you've got going on is uh, almost all shadow bank, bank activity is funding asset purchases, it's not funding actual investment. And so what you get out of that is a rise in the valuation of assets out of the loans being created, and that then increases the equity banking of the real banks that enables them to lend more money. Plus, they're also taking, by, you know, by securitizing and selling loans off their books and so on, they're freeing up their equity to loan ratio and making it viable to continue lending. So I think it, it, it does inflate asset bubbles. And, and with that inflation and asset bubbles, that actually enables yet more generation of money by the banking sector for assets rather than for goods and services. And we and it's it's extendable. Of course, we have shadow insurance. But presumably, it's the same thing. It's a, just another way of moving out of a regulated environment. It's a, uh, but but isn't isn't it in all of these? Isn't it an easy loop, loophole to close? Basically, if um, you know you stop banks doing it. I mean, just saying. You know, if you if you are if you're lending, um, uh, it you've got to have that direct relationship with the customer. And this idea of repackaging just shouldn't be allowed you can try i mean the, I've, I've had a, a few interesting conversations here in in uh, london where people who work in shadow banks have told me that they uh, they find it quite amusing to be invited along to the bank of england to hear the bank of england lay out their ideas for the net set of regulatory controls because they're sitting there and nodding their head and discussing is yes, that's effective or not effective and what's going on in the back of the brain this is literally uh, from you know, serious conversation with people involved in this we're working out how can we evade this particular set of regulations 
who said, so before before the regulations are enacted, we know what they're going to be and we've already worked out our alternative to evade their effect by the time they're promulgated. So the, the danger there is that the shadow banks, are f- first of all, they're far more highly motivated. They've paid extremely large amounts of money to do this. And secondly, they're included in the whole process of devising the laws in the first place. Uh, and if you tried to devise the laws without including them, they'd scream hell and high water. How can you regulate us without knowing what we do? Um, so I think the regulation route uh, is going to be ineffective because they will find a way around it. And are they growing? Are they becoming a bigger part of the total uh, financial system? This is where it's getting fun right now because, no, they're not. And the reason is that, they, again, I, I don't endow. I, these people have large amounts of money but not necessarily large amounts of knowledge. And for a while, any, the, 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 the route to a fortune was to open a hedge fund get backing by it, make a fortune, uh, cream off, you know, uh, 2 plus 2% for yourself plus uh, 2% of the capital plus 2% of the return and become a multi-billionaire overnight. Now it's almost impossible to open up a hedge fund. The reason is that while this was happening, the, the hedge funds were growing because the money supply was growing. Level of debt was increasing. People were providing you know, money for asset speculation and it was a positive sum game. Uh, now, because... Uh, we're now in the, in the post-crisis period where countries like America and uh, the UK are what I call the walking debt of debt. Uh, the level of credit demand has dropped off quite significantly. It's rising again now, but it's uh, been back before the crisis, credit was equivalent to about, in America, about 15% of GDP. Now it's equivalent to about 7 and of course it was as low as minus 5 uh, during the crisis itself. In that world, the, the level of positive sum left over is just that much less. And consequently, all these uh, firms are trying to make money still, but they're not they're not the net, net positive anymore. So uh, somebody's loss is somebody else's. Somebody's gain is somebody else's loss. And um, whenever I speak at a, at a, at a conference with uh, uh, wealth managers and uh, uh, high net worth individuals and family offices, as they're called, they're all struggling because they can't work out a way to make a profit. So, because there's not the demand for credit right now, so because there's not the creation of credit, so the actual, you know, they 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 are they feed off the creation of credit by the banking sector, and when the credit banking sector was expanding credit by you know fifteen percent of GDP per year, then it was quite possible then to cream off that two plus two and think they were being great economic managers. Now they're finding it ain't so easy, and the reason has got nothing to do with their own behaviour. It's because credit simply isn't as big as it was before the crisis. So, do they need regulating? I mean, clearly, uh, the experience from 2007-2008 is that they do. Um, have any steps been taken to control them? Oh, that's where Glass-Steagall got to be such a... Yeah. Uh, like, the repeal of Glass-Steagall is one thing. The, the Dodd-Frank Act that replaced it is thousands of pages long. And the reason for this complexity is because you're accumulating all the various means that they've used to evade regulation in the past and trying to find a way of writing down rules that they can't evade it next time round. And consequently, there's an enormous expansion in compliance costs inside these firms, partly why they're not making money anymore. Um, but it, it is just so easy for them to evade it. But that's why they want to get rid of it as well. It's, I mean, let's, let's, make it, let's make it even easier. Let's get rid of the act completely. So I just don't think regulation of the the actual behaviour of the of the shadow banks works. My target has always been to say, let's change the capacity of the banks themselves to create asset bubbles. So that, but how do you do that? I mean, if because uh, because if the if a lot of the work is being done by the shadow banks, isn't it? I mean, it's the 
it, presumably the situation is the shadow banks are saying, well, okay, we we can't create money, but we can we can we can borrow money that has been created, and we can pass that on and 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 lend mm. it out. Uh, how do you stop that happening? Because it well, could be the action of the shadow bank rather than the bank that's doing that. To, to me, the the major uh, thing you can actually target is that this increase in capacity to lend comes out of increase in the valuation of the assets. So if you look at the equity, uh, the mm. net equity of a bank, it reflects the valuation of the assets they have as well as you know, how many loans they're issuing. And if the assets are rising in value, uh, then they can continue expanding their lending. And if they're lending, expanding the asset, their valuation of the assets is a positive feedback loop, uh, which gives you these, these bubbles we get ourselves caught in. Now, my proposal has been to say, let's limit the scale of lending that can be done against an asset, not to the price of the asset, but to the income earning potential of the asset. Yeah. And yeah. that never grows as fast as the capital price does. If you think about rents compared to house prices, even though... Rents are rising right now in London, for example, and apparently also in Sydney. Um, they never rose to anything like the the extent that house prices do because uh, that would mean for most people a five-fold increase in their rent. And when you're already paying 30% of your income in rent, that's it. You you simply can't do that. So there's a there's a limit to how far income out of an asset can grow versus the actual price of the asset. And if lending was controlled, there'd be uh, no more than a, a multiple of the income earning capacity of the asset being purchased, then I think you'd see asset prices, given the current level they are, that was imposed, say, at a level of like a 10 to 1 ratio, you'd see asset prices falling by two thirds. Right. So then it doesn't matter who sells that loan or how it's packaged, whether it's directly through a bank or through a shadow bank, you'd have mm-hmm. that You'd have that, that control and the, sort of the influence of the shadow bank is going to be less influential. The risk from the shadow bank is 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 going to be less. Uh, so people who are buying those repackaged bonds uh, can be assured that perhaps it's less of a risky investment on their part. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, they you simply wouldn't have the same profitability coming out of it. This is this is right. the point I want to tackle yeah, because yeah. at the moment, because there's a positive feedback loop between level of lending and asset prices, then that exp- enables you to continue expanding the lending. Now, if you if you put this uh, mechanism in where nobody could buy a house with more than a, a loan of more than ten times, say, the annual rental income of the property, then that would mean that. People who are successful in buying a property, if they're competing at equal incomes, uh, would, the person who would win would have a high level of savings, not a high level of leverage. And you would therefore have a negative feedback effect between house prices and and level of leverage. And that, I think, would just take the wind out of this potential profit-earning game that banks have of financing asset bubbles. And of course, you've got to find something profitable to do which is actually worthwhile and useful. Uh, but that that change would mean that the finance sector would fall in size by of the order of two thirds to three quarters. Right, taking all the shadow level. banks with them, presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then, then, and then, very, then, then, then a very, very popular person. Yeah, you would be, wouldn't you? Absolutely, with all those people earning a stack of money. So then that would leave the banks to try and earn their money by investing in things. And we've spoken about this before, which actually mm. might, might be productive for the economy rather than just a dead weight. Uh, yeah, very good. All right. Mm. Makes sense. All right. Well, uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you very much for your time. We'll let you go. Okay, Matt. Thank you. Hopefully that makes sense. That sounds like you had some people in the house, didn't he? Either, either that or very noisy uh, burglars. Uh, so, shadow banks. 
Don't create money directly. Perhaps the worst thing they can do is hide the truth, but also make it easier for the big banks uh, to make bigger loans, which is, of course, the root of the issue. That's it. Till next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.